Hello and welcome to another episode of the Generosity Freak Show. I'm your host, Brady Josephson, and on today's show, we are chatting with John Hayden. He's the author of Facebook Marketing for Dummies. Uh, He's a speaker, an author, and a coach, uh, increasingly focused on donor care, donor retention, communications, things that really move the needle in terms of building donor loyalty. And those are all topics that we discuss today. So we start off with a conversation about John and kind of his personal journey with health and what it means for him and his career, which is interesting. Then we spend a lot of time talking about donor retention and communications. Uh, He's got some good tips on welcome series and how to use surveys to kind of better engage donors and move towards like a second gift and what that means. And then we end the conversation talking a little bit about Facebook fundraisers and using social media and what that looks like. So I hope you enjoy the show and thank you as always for listening. Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go I said welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Welcome to the Freak Show, here we go It's just another Freak Show, here we go Hi, John. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm a huge fan of the podcast. I really am. (laughs) Everyone says that. They just, you know, pander to the host. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, (laughs) I want to get that right out there up front before we start, right? (laughs) Appreciate that. Flattery will get you everywhere. Hey, it's been successful. Um, so I knew you kind of like way back as, you know, a, a Facebook for nonprofits kind of guy and, you know, read a lot of your stuff and used a lot of the tips. But I know a lot has changed mm-hmm. since then, especially in the last year. You said you kind of, you know, went through some life stuff and actually kind of moving towards a book. Can you catch us up to speed with kind of where you're at now and maybe the little bit of that last journey? Yeah, yeah. So I've been doing this work for about 10 years and I absolutely love it. And uh, about a year and a half ago, I was saying, wow, I'm so fortunate. I'm making a living doing something I want, I I like to do. I have a beautiful son. I'm in a great relationship. I live right near Harvard University. It's such a, you know, and my health. I have my health too, right? Not even two weeks later, I was diagnosed with cancer. So I Mm. found when I was stretching, I found like a bump on my collarbone and I freaked out and I went to Mm. the doctor. Um, And as a father and as someone who like, I feel like I have a sense of mission with nonprofits, right? Um, I've helped so many nonprofits over the past 10 years. And so this was really a deciding point for me. What am I going to do? Am I going to be defeated or not? And the cancer really helped me in a way bring out a much deeper um, sense of meaning in my work. Um, And I also, you know, also along the way, you know, when you have cancer, of course, you think there might be a possibility that you might die. We all die. Of course, I'm a young person. I don't want to die anytime soon, right? <laughs> mm. um, so I really started thinking, like, what would be my legacy in mm. terms of my work? What would be my legacy? So I really started thinking about this. And, you know, I had a lot of time on my hands doing chemo and radiation and all this. Uh, and And I actually started writing a book now. I'm kind of maybe um, 25% into it, Hmm. uh, called Donor Care. And care Hmm. is an acronym that we can get into a little bit later. Uh, But basically, I wanted this book to be my legacy if I was going to die and leave behind like, this is what John Hayden really left the nonprofit world. Not like I'm, you know, the, the, 
the someone like Beth Cantor or Kivy Leroy Miller, but you know, I feel like I've done a little bit and helped <laughs> nonprofits a little bit. And yeah. so I wanted to kind of leave this behind. So that was really <laughs> the motivate the motivating factor. Uh, and there's so many other lessons I've learned beyond yeah. professional work, but um, I actually work with a lot of cancer organizations and that this has helped me have a yeah, lot I'm more sure. compassion to understand their stories a little bit better and to understand caregivers, professionals, people hmm. who are cancer survivors and what it, what it really means to be a cancer survivor. Wow. You know, so I have a lot of respect for a lot of the work that cancer organizations do for sure. Yeah. Well, and it's so and it's interesting that, I mean, we know this, but how radical our life situations impact our kind of work, professional situations, or how these things bleed over, right? So my mom had a, a breast cancer scare earlier this year, and up until wow. that point, cancer organizations were not really on my radar very much. You know, they, they're they really big, and they seem like, you know, what is it that you're actually doing? And it wasn't personally impacting, and now it's, it's a very big deal to, yeah. you know, me and my family because we've experienced it. Yeah, yeah. Right? So yeah. all these things play in, and then it's interesting how those impact, like, how you view your family or your work. And, and it's unfortunate sometimes it takes something pretty extreme, but mm. it's it's awesome to hear how you're kind of using that to kind of reshape and focus work. So that's yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the good news for now is that the, in case anybody's wondering, um, yeah. you know, as they're listening, the cancer is dead at this point. So I did radiation, I did chemotherapy for months. It was really rough. Um, but at this point, the cancer is completely dead and I have to get a, a scan every six months. Um, but but I think the benefit, actually, of having cancer, once you have it, it's always a monkey on your back. There's always this mm. thought that it might come back. Mm. And in a way, cancer is kind of like the looming, um, the looming issue of death, which we all have to face. And that creates mm. a lot more urgency in right. how I live my life and how I do my work. Yeah. Well, let's let's transition from from this into an area that you're focusing a lot on that I'm sure is a big part of the the book that you're working on and mm. should be an urgent issue for nonprofits and yeah. that's really kind of donor retention which is a big focus of yours. So yeah. You know, it's it's a huge concern in our space. First time donor retention rates low, twenty to thirty percent. Averages low, forty to fifty percent. Um, why are these numbers so low? I feel like we've been talking about this for a while. Why is it so yeah. low, and what can we do to actually change that number? Yeah, oh, man, this is like the sixty-four thousand dollar question. I mean, really, <laughs> you're right. I mean, for the past ten years at least companies like BlackBot have been tracking this, right? And to your point, it's around 25%, something like that for first-time donors. Second-time donors or repeat donors jumps up a little bit, maybe 50%, but still 50% is really low. Half the people that come around and make a second gift, they don't come back again, right? And so um, why is the first-time donor retention rate really low. I mean, there's definitely the factor of outliers when there's a disaster. Everybody wants to support the Red Cross, right? But then very few people are really um, kind of in it to win it with the Red Cross. You know, they're, they're not really, they're not going to come back and give again and again and again. It's just that one-off donation. So that might skew some of the numbers out there. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. No. Yeah. I mean, th there's an element of like, you know, what's a healthy number? There's no way it's 100 percent. There's a certain element of people that just for whatever reason they give and will not give again or mm. they don't they're not in a position to give or. But I guarantee you a healthy number is higher than 25 percent yeah. <laughs> that we're sitting at. You know, yeah. there, there has to be something better. Yeah. You know, the other thought I, I always have is that uh, 
nonprofits aren't natural marketers. They don't really think of, and you know, there's always this argument about nonprofits are different from for-profits and they should be thought of differently. Yes. Cause they're making real meaningful impact in the world as opposed to selling an iPhone or whatever like that, which is just going to end up in a landfill. Right. Um, so I think that they just don't have that natural marketing mindset. That's my experience is they, you know, when I work with an organization, there's often some very obvious things that they're missing that impact the donor retention. For example, sending a thank you email that's really heartfelt and sincere or say writing a handwritten note to people, right? So, you know, a couple things about donor retention. It's very costly to have a low retention rate. Okay. And there's actually three major costs to it. One is the cost of acquisition. So it actually costs up to 10 times as much to acquire a new donor than to just keep a brand, an existing donor happy, right? So there's that immense cost, both in time, resources, and money to keep, to, to acquire a new donor. Right. There's that, that piece. The second is the, the reduction in lifetime value of the donor. Right. So if you have a donor that gives once, that's great. But if they don't come around there, you know, that that essentially defeats the purpose of even attracting that person. Right. So that's the second cost. The third cost that I think hardly anybody thinks about is what you know, what benefits are nonprofits getting from donor loyalty? Right. So loyal donors tend they're more likely to be a fundraiser. They're more likely to promote promote an event. They're more likely to spread word of mouth. They're more likely to volunteer, right? So the value of a, li- of a loyal donor goes way beyond what they're, uh, what's in their wallet, okay? And so these are the three costs that I think are kind of somewhat hidden from organizations when they focus on fundraising. And they just, you know, part of the issue also is the short-term focus, like, oh, we've got these expenses coming up. We've got to somehow pay for this. So let's just get some quick money in the door without really looking at the longer term um, relationship that they have. So it's trans, as you mentioned in the podcast several times, a focus on transactional instead of relationships. Yeah. Uh, I think another thing that, that stands out to me, like why haven't we moved this is that the, the pain doesn't really get felt high enough up, right? So the vast majority of organizations have that like 20, 80, 20 rule or even 90, 10 where, what makes them hit their budgets or not deals from a very, very small pool of people, and that's mm-hmm. who the top levels in the board are really looking at. And so they may a may not even know the donor retention rate, yeah. and b that it's kind of papering over the cracks. Yeah. And uh, when we look sectorally, I just had Chuck Longfield, the you know longtime oh, data scientist at Blackbot, on mm. in your neck of the woods, same kind yeah. of area, I think. Uh, and and just going over his study of just saying the number of households that are giving to nonprofits is going down. Mm. The number of gifts that these households are making is going down. Mm. Philanthropy has been able to kind of skate by because those who do give are very loyal and give a lot. But fundamentally, the underlying metrics are very, very worrisome. Mm. And I think that's true for most nonprofits. But, you know, the pain's not being felt. Like Mm. it doesn't seem like someone's going to get fired if they don't improve the retention rate, you know, or it's not like a direct line. Like we won't be able to serve, you know, this this homeless population, our mission, if we don't improve the retention rate. Like it's not an in, it's not a direct link. And so mm. it just kind of falls down. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, there's also another correlation I've heard um, that um, um, I guess turnover in the nonprofit world has actually gone yeah. up a lot. 
Hmm. And kind of, I'm, I wonder what the link is between donor happiness and uh, employee happiness. I'm sure there's a link, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, imagine, imagine working in a nonprofit where people are really into the mission and they absolutely love the donors. They get a donor and they're really happy. It's impossible to feel that way unless you feel happy about your job, unless you're respected right. yourself, unless yeah. you're appreciated, you know? And if you are, of course, that's going to filter down to the donors. Right. So there's almost like a culture, like a care, yeah. a culture of care. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the culture piece has been standing out. I mean, we just, yeah. you know, we're, we're at this conference and spent two days discussing all these oh, yeah, big issues right. and just walked away thinking more so than anything. Um, it's not like a strategy problem per se, mm. although there is a strategy problem or a mm. numbers. It's a cultural problem because even something like donor retention, if you came in and you said, we want you to, to improve donor retention by 10 percent. Mm. Yeah. You have to work on it for 12 months before you can really start figuring out, are we even moving the needle? So yeah. you're talking about like a two-year plan just to see, mm-hmm. you know, are, is it working? How many people result. are around organizations for two years? How many you're people right. get that kind of, you know, luxury or license? Yeah. So, you know, I think the issues are going quite, you know, systemic and, yeah. and they're, they're pretty far-reaching. Yeah, yeah. And the sad thing is, you know, we have the technology today to kind of scale and automate a lot of um, – care yeah and retaining donors you know so it's kind of a shame i mean yeah we have personalization we have email we have chatbots we have a whole bunch of stuff we can use to give uh donors a real personalized experience that's that's um that they'll remember yeah you know? one of the things that um you've got a blog post talking about is kind of something as simple as a welcome series mm-hmm. right uh, you know we've talked about the cultural issues maybe a couple tips or tactics yeah. like can you talk about some little things or you know yeah. the value of a welcome series or a couple practical things mm-hmm. organizations can do well you know so again this is one area where i'm always continually surprised at well, you don't have a welcome series for your new donors you know um so with any email marketing software out there, there's this feature in it that allows you to create an automatic series of, say, three emails um, that, get t- that get triggered based on an action. For example, someone becomes a donor, right? And so the first email, um, this is what I do with my clients, the first email um, has to say thank you, you know, and you want to go you want to just not not say thank you like okay check we said thank you but how can you <laughs> say thank you in a way that's truly remarkable and has mm. them feel something right and we can do this in a couple of ways with the language going above and beyond not this stiff kind of jargon language or um, kind of being polite and reserved language we want to be effusive with our with our thank you and we want to be sincere right? Mm-hmm. But also there's the personalization piece, um, not just the first name, right? Dear John, actually for me, I don't like dear John, right? <laughs> I'd rather have John, comma, or hey John, hi John, yeah, you know, right. something a little bit more personal, right? Uh, but then also, you know, that first name, we, we don't want to just use it at the beginning, maybe a couple of times during the email, not so much to feel creepy, but to make it feel at least personal, you know, at the end, you know, thank you again, John, for your time. You know, you really made a big difference today, you know? Um, so there's that. That's the first email. And then the second two emails are really kind of more of the same, thanking people, reminding them of the impact that they just made and how important that is. And also, um, what's the next step? So 
it could be a series of three emails. Um, the first one, of course, is thank you. Second one is reporting back about their gift. The third one is doing more of the same. But in each email, we're gonna, you know, each email always has to have what's the next step, right? What's next? That's the essence of stewardship. You know, thank you so much. You've made a big difference in someone's life today. Here's what's next, right? And often I recommend get them giving again as soon as you possibly can, right? You know, if they gave once, why not go back to them in a couple of weeks and ask them to give again? Now, when people hear this, you know, nonprofit, oh, we don't want to be pushy. That's pushy. Well, the reason why that feels like it might be pushy is because the organization's looking at fundraising completely backwards, Okay. Donors don't give because they're generous or they want to part with their money. It's never about the money. It's always about the impact, right? And so if, uh, if, if an, we're essentially giving people another opportunity to make an impact that's meaningful in their lives, we know that they want to do that because they already did it once. They did mm-hmm. it twice, right? Let's invite them to have more great experiences of changing the world in the way that they believe in. That's mm-hmm. what it's about. Yeah, and the the key thing that you pointed out there is you've already like thanked them effusely. You've talked about the impact of their gift, and then mm. kind of nurturing them towards maybe making a second gift. I mean, yeah. that's something that organizations often don't do. Mm. So if you don't do that and you wait six months and then you ask again, that's much worse, yeah. you know, than yeah. than having the ask sooner on. And mm. then the other thing that that we've seen at least is you know when someone makes a gift, they're raising their hand and saying, mm. I'm interested in what you're doing so much so that I've given you my money for some mm-hmm. reason, Yeah, right? There's kind of like this, this halo effect where you have now a short period of time where they are engaged, they know who you are, mm. where you can engage with them. And if, again, you wait three months, they might go, oh, I did give that organization 50 yeah. bucks. But like, you're gone, you know? Yeah. Whereas, you know, the the... First 45 days is what we're looking at is so imperative Mm. to thank, engage, do those tips. And you're right. Move towards the second gift or maybe ask if they want to become a sustainer or a recurring giver and, you know, make that impact all year long or something like that. Yeah, I say get them into monthly giving as soon as possible. You know, I mean, that's that's what I think. Yeah, it's really interesting. Um, You know, I love the work that you guys do, actually, because you're always doing a lot of research and experiments, right? And I think that's really important. Um, now, then, in terms of you know, a couple things I've done actually, which are a little bit more advanced strategies, is um, <clears throat> is when we send out a thank you email, and even on the thank you page that people see, I always recommend listen. Let's have a video because video is going to convey much more sincerity and emotion, and give that donor the, an experience, right? We don't want to just say, again, we thank them. That's checkbox. We, we don't want to have them have that experience because that, that's not even an experience. That's like checking a checkbox. They're going to forget about you. So we have video that talks directly to the donor in second-person narrative. You know, you made a big difference today. Thank you so much. And then ask the $64,000 question, which is, what made you decide to give today? Okay. Now, what I've done with a few clients, and this kind of works like a charm, uh, we ask that question, right? And it's an open text box, and they just fill out that text box. And then with the, with the follow-up series or with a follow-up campaign, we can actually use that information to convert them into a monthly donor, right? So the, that email campaign 
essentially says, hey, you know, we're asking you to join our monthly giving program. We're not asking everyone. We're asking you because we know you care. In fact, here's what you said when you gave your first gift and just put a quote there, right? Now, people cannot argue with their own words. They said that. They're going to say, yeah, I did say that. They're going to be reminded. And the conversion rate I've seen on those sort of email, that sort of campaign is pretty high, at least uh, hmm. getting them to become a monthly donor. You know, yeah. so things like that can be pretty powerful. And that's really much more sophisticated personalization. You know? Yeah. Well, and there's yeah. two other um, cool things. Like one, when it comes to um, uh, generosity, when we're first asked to reflect on the question why, mm-hmm. um, we are more likely to then become generous mm-hmm. uh, because generosity is kind of buried deeper within us. We all have it, but it's not, you know, like, you know, I need to eat. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's it's a little bit deeper. And so actually when you ask people to think about like resources and how they use them first, separate of a giving action, yep. people will then become more generous when they do. So that's kind of part of the value, mm-hmm. you know, uh, of that. And then also when, when the the ask or something around generosity is not tied to giving or money right now. We're super mm. weird with money. If you just separate it, this is why when people can pledge money and not fulfill, they're way more generous, right? Oh, yeah. yeah, I'll give you a hundred bucks, yeah. you know? Uh, <laughs> when we separate the transaction, people are also more generous. So if you can do that in these surveys, right, people reflect on it and then they can make a commitment that they don't necessarily have to fulfill, they'll be Mm. a lot more altruistic, a lot more generous. And then you can do, as you say, like follow up. So like there's – yeah, so this is matching up like marketing automation and human behavior and what we know about giving to Mm. kind of create Mm. this really, really great strategy. So that that makes – and it's not that hard, right? It's not that hard at all. And and not to mention the value – of the language itself, right? So yeah, right. we have this whole strategy about like converting monthly donors and using their words to do that, which we just talked about. But also, let's look at what people are saying. I mean, I remember I worked with an organization and I said, okay, let's let's review the kind of data that you have on your donors. And she gave me this huge Excel file and there was one field that said, you know, why did you give or why do you support the organization? And there was so many incredible personal stories in there. I said, listen, this is gold. This is where we have to start. Not only is this telling us what motivates them, but we can literally use their words to help inform our website copy and how we're telling stories. I mean, this is you know, this is like a no-brainer strategy. And also the research on donor retention does say that donors are more likely to give if they feel that they, if they have an opportunity to let their views be known, Hmm. you know, Hmm. if they share. So, so just by virtue of asking, yeah, right. Why did you decide to give? We care what you think. What do you think? We want to hear from you. (gasps) You want to hear from me. Wow. That's great. No one ever asked me that question. Right. So these these things also help organizations differentiate themselves from ninety nine point nine percent of the other nonprofits who right. do not ask this question. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's actually one of the the things we're looking at specifically in a research study we're doing right now is to oh. see how many people are using something like a survey in their welcome series. And there are some. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's definitely the, it's definitely mo- the minority, but yeah. uh, you know, seeing it more and more. But then, uh, question for you then. Part of the risk here is in when you ask for a donor's input, mm. you have to follow through then, don't you? You can't say, mm. you know, what kind of content do you want or like what, yeah. you know, what's interesting and then shove it in an Excel file and never use it. That's almost worse, mm. isn't it? 
Well, yeah. I mean, that's why I like that question. Why did you decide to give today? Because it's not really implying that there's going to be any file. Well, not right. Follow-up, it's pretty you know, like a problem. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You have to be careful if you're going to ask a donor a question. Um, I always like that. That would actually impact your event or your content or anything like that. It's always good to keep it really super focused. For example, if we're focusing on event registration, you know, um, you know, do you want a DJ or a band? You know, that's great. That's, that's something within <laughs> our control. We can deliver on that. And if we get right. more people voting for this, then awesome. But we're yeah. certainly not going to ask them, you know, what do you think about our logo? Should we, should we <laughs> right. change our website? Man, you'll get so many wonderful, you know, so many, yeah. great, so much great feedback. That is <laughs> or the one that... <laughs> the one that seems like a good idea is like, how often would you like to hear from us? Yeah. And it's like, well, what if they just say once? And it's like, oh, crap. I know. <laughs> like now we can only talk to them once or something. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you know, that's that's wise. Like ask questions that are meaningful to you, meaningful to them, but, you know, mm-hmm. don't necessarily, you know, lock you in. And yeah. at least on our side, you know, we do tons of testing. And unfortunately um, – Donors are kind of liars sometimes mm. when they say why they gave. Yeah. Um, but it's a great source of insight. And yeah. I think the thing that you said that's brilliant is use their own language, at mm-hmm. least talk in their own terms. That's a huge yeah. problem we have. You know, we yeah. sit in boardrooms and come up with messages and, you know, it's just like a disconnect. where like, mm. can we use their words? I think that's really, really smart. Yeah. yeah. And also, you know, giving them choice about somewhat, con- you know, controlled choice about where do you want your money to what do you want your money to support for example like a literacy organization could say you know where do you want your or what are you most interested in supporting books um um, helping adults read or helping children read right so what's great about that is that if we have the ability of course we're going to divert those funds and support in those directions um but more importantly we can actually follow up with smarter email messages and smarter campaigns. Great. Hey, the people that want to support children and their ability to read, we have a whole campaign for that, right? And those people are going to be much more likely to engage with those campaigns than someone who said, hey, I'm interested in adults learning how to read, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of research around the more tangible the ask is, both amount and impact, Mm. or more specific, the more donors can wrap their minds around it, and then they're more likely to give. So that's great. But a huge benefit that is maybe hidden again is you have such a clear opportunity to do Mm follow-up. Whereas if you kind of, hey, give to us generally, what do you Mm. go back to that donor and say, you know, here's what we did? How do you, you know, earn that more of that trust? Where if you said... You want to support children, uh, you know, literacy. And then six months later, here's like a photo of a kid reading a book and you say, here's what we've done. And now Mm. what you wanted is connected to what they did. And it's so Mm. clear as opposed to the more general, here's our annual report. You know, that's really tough on on the donor side to understand you know, what an organization's doing. So it's like the double benefit of being a little bit more tangible, right? Yeah, yeah. And also that's the essence of a relationship. It is back and forth, right? Mm. Hey, what do you want? I want this. Okay, great. That's awesome. Let's do that together. You know, mm. that's the essence of a relationship. And I think that's the essence of donor stewardship is yeah. to kind of have that back and forth on the yeah. journey, right? There's a journey that they take. Yeah. You know, the one um, thing that you mentioned was, um, well, actually, I just want to throw this out there that I, I've, I think direct mail is still really key 
you know, it's obviously a proven form of raising money. And I think it's important to do both for sure, because um, the research, Chuck has done this research as well. If you, uh, well, actually he's done research around phone calls, but I'm sure he's been involved in direct mail. If you send a thank you note within 24 hours, uh, that's going to increase the likelihood that they'll come back again by about 30%, you know? So, I mean, these things are really work, but the cool thing about um, mail, physical mail, is that um, it actually has this subconscious um, influence that makes the person feel that the organization's real, you know? If all we do is we have digital, then the it's kind of a virtual organization in some ways, right? But there's been some research that shows that a mail, a piece of mail from an organization that you can touch and feel and smell and see, um, this engages much more senses, which actually creates an overall deeper experience for that donor. You know, so I think organizations have to do both for sure. I don't want anybody out there to say, well, we're just going to do email now. Let's forget about direct mail, which is a proven source of revenue for sure. Yeah, people get that kind of backwards. I mean, we're we're about as digital as, as you can get, and we never yeah. advise that. We'll often mm-hmm. say, like, how can you optimize mail or mm-hmm. how can you increase the return of mail using digital strategies, whether it's, you know, straddle Facebook ads or yeah. using email messaging to continue campaign or mm-hmm. something like that. I think the thing is if, if you have a small or struggling direct mail shop and or program and you're looking to invest for growth, mm-hmm. it's it's probably not going to be investing in the direct mail growth. Yeah. Right. If it's maintenance and optimization, cool. Mm, If you're looking to expand and grow and build, it's probably not going to be that avenue. It's too expensive, you know, at at this stage of the game. But you're 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 right. I think a lot of people, um, you know, direct mail is great for retention too. Yeah. Get a new donor, and and here's the funny math around retention. Right. Um, If you get a new donor, twenty five dollars. Right. Let's say they give twenty five dollars. That doesn't really cover the cost of acquisition. Okay. I mean, it barely covers it. Right. And so, you know, one would ask, well, then why would we want to send them a paper newsletter? Because it's an investment in the future. And that's another kind of paradigm shift. I think a lot of organizations need to see is marketing is not a cost. It's an investment. Right. So all too often I hear, oh, it's a cost It cost. You know, it's just money going out the door that we have to pay for. It's a necessary evil. No, it's an investment if you use it correctly. And sending out um, a paper newsletter, which sits around the house, creates a much deeper relationship with that donor. They're going to be more likely to come back again, simply because you're touching them in many different ways. Digital, um, you know, through video, through direct mail, through handwritten notes. I mean, we want to embrace the donor with as many, um, you know, mediums as we can. Yeah, and, and you're, I think you're right. I think that's a big misconception. You know, one of the my favorite quotes I use a lot from Roger Craver is eighty percent, eighty percent of the lifetime value of a of a donor is derived from the communications that they receive, not mm-hmm. fundraising and asks. Yeah. But like we we measure asks, and you can see like we asked, they said yes or no, and it's so tangible. Where mm-hmm. it's like if someone gives online and they receive a newsletter but they never fill out the card in the newsletter. How do you know the value of the mm-hmm. newsletter? Right. Yeah. So there are ways to track it. You can split people in groups and you can see who received it, who doesn't. And every time we look at that or someone else looks at it, they say the more touch mm-hmm. points, you know, 
online and offline that are valuable the more money you raise. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it it's just a lot of organizations maybe don't have the data or the sophistication, mm-hmm. but the communication side of the equation is way more mm-hmm. valuable than than people think and yeah. often underestimate how important that really is. It's not mm-hmm. it's not your appeals and when they come out as much as it is the other touch points throughout yeah. the year, right? Yeah, yeah, and especially if you say thank you, if that's like your biggest strategy, just saying thank you in as many ways as you can and in ways that surprise and delight the donor without even asking once, I bet you, you know, these people come back and say, wow, I've got to, I've got to become a monthly donor. Jeez, I really like this organization. And they didn't even ask, you know, it's just that they're giving them an experience and they're focusing totally on you matter. Thank you so much. You made a difference. Without you, we couldn't, you know, this work wouldn't be able to be done. Wow. I matter. I'm important. That's what people want to feel. So maybe um, maybe on that note, an area that, um, you know, you, I think, have a lot of expertise, much more so than than me, is this kind of area of social media. Um, Mm. And I think, you know, it's often uh, misvalued in terms of how it's measured. Yeah. Uh, And on the engagement retention side, I think there's massive opportunity that maybe organizations Mm -hmm. don't use. But I'd be just interested Mm. in taking a step back and and asking someone like you, like, what's kind of your take on maybe Facebook in particular, which Mm. seems to be like the main driver, but maybe social media overall. Like, how is it being used today? What are the opportunities Mm. you see for organizations and what are any tips or advice uh, for organizations using Facebook and social? Yeah, I think the one of the biggest opportunities is this. Um, rather than viewing it as a free email list, and when I say it, I mean Instagram, <laughs> Facebook, Twitter, whatever it is, rather than viewing it as a one – and here's the funny thing. It's social media. I mean, by definition, it's back and forth <laughs> discussion, right? But yet mm-hmm. most nonprofits say, well, let's just post a video. And then if people like it and share it, that's cool. But, you know, we're just interested in just sharing the information, distributing the information, right? But rather, um, the strategy should be um, two-way, okay? So basically asking people, what do you think? What's your story, right? People love that stuff. And, you know, I remember working with an ALS organization, a small one, right? And they just had a couple of, they were very small, okay? And they felt, for some reason, they had to be the be-all and end-all of all knowledge around ALS for caregivers, for patients, and for professionals, right? To answer all these questions. And I said, listen, you're going to go crazy if you keep doing this, okay? What you need to do instead is just, for example, um, hey, here's one way to reduce muscle tension. What do you think? What do you guys think? What's your best way to do this, right? So creating this discussion, but also turning your community into the experts because they are, right? And and not putting that burden on the organization, right? So first thing is like approach it like two-way communication. What do you think? What's your story? What's your input? People use social media because they want to be heard. If an organization is asking them what they think, that instantly again, differentiates themselves from most of the other organizations. That's the first, you know? Um, so that, that's one piece. I, I, the other piece is um, Facebook ads, of course. I wish more organizations would use Facebook ads instead of having this, um, oper- this idea that, oh, well, you know, it's not free, right? But you and yeah. I both know that free has so many costs to it. <laughs> yeah, right? definitely. We all know the free website that someone built for the nonprofit mm. is horrible looking and <laughs> they don't know how to edit it. They can't change it, you know? Yeah. So so that's one. Now now Facebook fundraising actually that's an interesting um, piece here. 
Okay. So Facebook fundraising, it's actually raised a lot of money for many, many nonprofits. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I do know a good friend of mine, Julie, works at the Humane Society of Northeast Georgia. And I think last year alone, they raised just over $20,000 from Facebook. Okay. So it's a small, small animal shelter and they didn't really do too much work to promote it. That's the thing. Facebook is doing the fundraising right? That's the cool thing about that. Now that said, um, you know, of course there is, there are strategies to promote that. The downside with Facebook fundraising is that it's not your data. You can't really have direct access to the people that are giving. So that's, that presents a problem because now we can't communicate with them on our terms, um, which is it is always an interesting discussion because yeah it is you you want to have people um desire to hear from you right yeah we can't make them want to hear from us we have to create something so that they want to hear from us right so that's the i think that's the struggle around facebook is yeah you can you know for very little effort you can raise some money you know a lot of money especially and here's the thing going back to donor donor loyalty donors who are loyal are much more likely to pick your nonprofit when they're asked, Hey, do you want to raise money on your birthday? Right. I mean, yeah. I, you know, I'm sure it's happened to you. Yeah. Facebook says you want to raise money for a nonprofit for your birthday. Mm-hmm. Wow. Great. I have at least 10 in my mind where I can raise money. Who am I going to pick first? Mm-hmm. Right? I can only pick one. Right. So that's where it gets back to donor loyalty. The more loyal the donors are, the more likely they're going to pick the nonprofit, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, I think the, I mean, we, we have to cut off this conversation at some point. Oh. So maybe have you back and we'll talk specifically yeah, 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 about yeah. this. But I think that that whole um, debate is so interesting because at one side, I mean, we talked about retention and welcome series and stuff. And to do some of that, you kind of need their information, right? Yeah. You need to know who they are. You need to thank them. You need to welcome them. And you're isolated from it. The flip side is, you know, you've talked a lot about it's about the donor and donor care. What are they interested in? And they are on Facebook. They want to raise money for your cause. Click, click, send. Boom. It's so easy. I used to work yeah. for a peer-to-peer company. It's hard, oh. you know, yeah. come from where you are in your life to our place, create another account, <laughs> customize your, you know what I mean? Like what we ask people to do to raise money for us oh, is it's fairly lot, cumbersome. Yeah. So, uh, you know, on the opposite side of that equation is they're there, their friends are there, like their supporters are there. It's super mm-hmm. easy, Facebook's. So it's like very donor-centric and very not donor-centric at the exact same mm-hmm. time. And yeah. it is really causing a wrench in how organizations are trying to figure out how do we use this or not? Do mm-hmm. we promote it or do we hide it? You know, it's this really interesting yeah. debate. And I see, you know, kind of the merits on both sides. Yeah. And it's pretty early days, so we'll, we'll see how it, how it ends up. Mm-hmm. But it's just, it's really interesting because there's that element of, the customer is at the center on both sides of that argument, right? Definitely, which it sh- as it should be, right? Yeah, yeah. It's it's going to be really, uh, really interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I think that this has been a great conversation. You know, the focus on uh, donor care that you have mm-hmm. increasingly, and your upcoming book will be great. I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, thanks for spending some time. Where Where's the best place for people to find out more about you and your work? Yeah, so they can just go to johnhayden.com. I mean, that's the best place. Easy. Yeah, easy, easy peasy. <laughs> great. Well, we'll send that out as well. Um, thanks again, John, and, and all the best. Yeah, great. Thank you so much. Hey, 
Hey, this is Brady, and I just want to say thank you for listening to the Generosity Freak Show. If you want to get all future episodes, please be sure to subscribe at generosityfreakshow.com, or you can just search the Generosity Freak Show on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love to hear from you. So if you have comments, questions, feedback, you can email us at podcast at next after. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, the Generosity Freak Show is produced by Next After, where I work. It, Next After is an online fundraising research lab that works with nonprofits to help them grow their online fundraising. And our mission is to unleash the most generous generation in the history of the world. You can learn more about us and what we're up to and see our latest research at nextafter.com. Lastly, this show would not be possible without my co-host, Tim Kuchuriak, and our amazing mixologist and producer, Nathan Hill. So many, many thanks to them. So thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week. <laughs>